filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So after the game, uh, I met up with Jason and, and Leanne, and we tried to film Lot 8 Live from Lot 8. Um, we, we had to figure out a lighting situation, but we think, I think we had that figured out with you know, a really sophisticated solution called My Headlights from my car. We're going to provide the lighting for Lot 8 Live, but a connection issue was a problem. Um, and, and so Leanne offered us chips uh, over by her car, and... Uh, they were hint of lime chips, which are terrible. Oh, no, yeah, no. Uh-uh. Which are terrible. See, I, I feel like the outlier here because I just don't have any strong feelings either way about them. Everybody um, at this. Slightly, they have a slightly gritty feel that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but I don't dislike them. They're just, they're chips. It's fine. They're, they are the Bud Light lime of chips. <laughs> so you're saying you would happily drink them in the right cir- circumstance or eat them in the right circumstances? No, I wouldn't actually. <laughs> See, Leanne, Leanne had a very strong pro hint of lime chip, and uh, I I was very anti. Jason was neutral. You were very um, upset that she was in favor of them. Yes, there were a couple other people there, and and Leanne's like, no one hates these. You and one other person from earlier hate these, and that's it. And she goes around, it's like, am I right? Am I right? And like Jason and two other people didn't have strong opinions, and then one other person was like, <sighs> she didn't want to say, but she's like, they're kind of terrible. <laughs> Sorry, Leanne, you're doing something awesome tonight, but your the, your choice of chips are terrible. Yes, your choice of musicals to go see in New York, um, it, uh, you are not throwing away your shot, and I'll, I'll give you that much. But um, your <laughs> choice enough, of chips is is bad. Funnily enough, I don't have any strong opinions on what she's doing tonight either. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, in in a world of takes, um, I I don't have a finish for that. You you don't fit in. That was real eloquent, Adam. Fuera Taylor. I have more. I have more takes. It's just not on these two topics. They're, they're we have very... plenty of takes. To, we have plenty of takes tonight. Yeah, and let's get to them. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. All three of us are from BlackAndRedUnited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Washington Freedom, the Richmond Kickers, yeah. and Washington Freedom. Washington Freedom, ah, Washington Spirit. I, I had a little throwback there. We're off to a bad start. We, we talk about Magic this, Jack FC and, um, yeah, this this podcast is clearly going just as well as the game last night, which we will talk about. DC United lost two to nothing to NYCFC, and I got optimistic and wrote one to nothing in my notes here. Um, <laughs> and we're gonna preview uh, the upcoming Atlantic Cup clash between dc united and the hated metros before we do anything though uh gentlemen it's been a bad week should we discuss in brief our, has, our shots let's talk now, about should we take the what they are just say what they are uh, i i am fine you're hijacking my bit uh old overholt go evan evan williams green uh Casadores blanco room temperature right. tequila <laughs> Good work. Cheers. Uh, something. It really isn't that bad, actually. That's good. Um, I have a real drink as well. Um, do you guys have real drinks, or are you just yeah. doing the shots? No, I'm, I came prepared. All right, Jason. Let, let's hear your, your show and tell. What are you drinking? Um, I am drinking a uh, margarita made with Casadores Reposado. Um, Margs. Which, uh, the, the reason I chose tequila is, A, because I don't have anything particularly bad to otherwise choose from, and I used to really dislike tequila, especially Blanco. So uh, this was the, the a throwback. A- Adam reminded me of a throwback drink that he didn't like, so I was thinking I should do something that I didn't like from my past, and this was the best I could do. The 
This this margarita though is very good. That's that's good. Um, I, last night I, I mentioned to Jason that I was going to be. I wasn't planning on doing a shot on this show, but peer <laughs> pressure and all that. Um, instead, I was going to and am in fact drinking uh, a rum based drink. And a lot of us have a, a particular spirit uh, that they drank too much of in college, and they can't drink it and enjoy it all that well anymore uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and for me that is rum rum was the drink i had way too much of in college and so i'm drinking a mojito tonight with rum and it's i i think i made it pretty well but i really don't enjoy it that much <laughs> this is rum is also my mom's drink that i like that yeah i am not even, a rum drinker anymore even now, forty years after she has graduated from college, she still can't do rum. Yeah, I'm only I'm only ten years out of college, and I'm not not a fan at this point. This uh, is it's a mojito though, so we're talking about white rum. Is this all rums or? Uh, yeah, because I drank a lot of dark rum in college. I drank and, a ton of Captain Morgan. It was the first liquor that I was. Uh, yeah, a I drinker didn't. There I didn't do that much of the spiced rum, um, okay. but it's still kind of you know guilt by association. But yeah, this you is, never, this you, is never rum, you never had tattoo. You never had what is it, Captain Morgan tattoo? No, I never did. I had no, no idea. I don't what think that, that existed when I was no. learning to drink uh, booze because I'm older. That was it. Was around in like 2005. Yeah, yeah we, I, I was, was out already, of college. The day was gone. I was already yeah. moving on to to more sophisticated beverages. Old Ben, what are you drinking? To to make you young whippersnappers. Go ahead. Uh, my I, I drank my shot of bourbon. Uh, because it was more like a shot and a half, because I have a big shot class. And uh, maybe I'll get something at halftime for this podcast. We'll see. Okay. Um, let's move on from this punishment to another punishment. Sunday night was a bad night at RFK Stadium. DC United missing some good first half chances, only to fall two to nothing to NYCFC after second half goals from David Villa and Kyrie Shelton. Ben... We have to talk about those misses, mostly from Sabarillo. There was a, a great second-half free kick that almost went in. Uh, Marcelo Sarvas hit the post. Yeah, um, he did. And, and then and Sabarillo was, was offside. offside on that, too. Sabo did his best uh, Leonard Pujoy impression in this one, I think. Um, he ran sometimes. He did run sometimes. Uh, Pujoy's fault was never running. He always ran. He ran defensively. In in attacking moments, he didn't run. He had he it didn't all make attacking runs. That's yeah, right. He had it all which, true. Which was all, a theme in this game. There were there were times yeah. I remember there was this one gorgeous ball Acosta put in from the left side in the second half, and it was uh, Lamar Nagel running the center channel because uh, Sabarillo was behind the play a little bit, and. Nagel did what a second forward slash winger often does when he's in the center channel and checked back, uh, even though the right run was to just run as hard as you could at the goal uh, yeah. and try to get on the end of this low, hard uh, swung in cross that yeah. Acosta put in perfectly out of the reach of Josh Saunders and behind the defense. It was perfect for someone making a hard run and zero DC United players made it. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and then you have your, your starting striker missing, good chances from seven yards and getting one-on-one with the keeper and failing to, to touch the ball by him. Ben, we've and talked mi- about and, mi- and missing an empty net, even when after he had already been called offside. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked a lot about the difference between Sabarillo as a starter, who is um, barely replacement level in MLS and, and Sabarillo as a substitute who is among the all time great, goal scorers in league history um i think we saw more of that unfortunately the former this week yeah he was terrible uh there's there's no way around it i mean he was just very very bad he had um it, it started with the, the uh miss from uh, nick de leon's cross which i mean it was a that would have been somewhat difficult for him to get on the end of but he still could have done better than what he did. Uh, then he had the miss when he was already offside. He had a lot of offside calls. He had more somewhat easy shots that he missed. He was just bad all around. I, uh, I guess, you know, to put a positive on it, he was no, let's involved. Not. He let's was not. involved. Let's not, let's not put a positive on it. No, okay. No. That's, you know, a, my he, instinct is to do that. He's a center forward. He, he should be scoring yes. goals. He should. 
You're right. Um, and that at least said, not it's not like anyone else. Or not being offside on a free kick. It's not like least. anybody else was um, was exactly putting shots on frame. Uh, I say exactly um, because nobody was ac- actually putting any shots on frame for United. Josh Saunders made zero saves in keeping a clean sheet. There was a literal shot on frame. Yes, there was. Yeah, it, it, was, the it was on frame. a frame. It was not on target. Um, yeah. yeah it was, and, that was, and that was about all Marcelo really did. Well, yeah, he, he for a central midfielder who's as involved as he typically is, he he was not the most visible presence in this game. Um, that said, a lot of players were bad, and and we'll get to one in particular um, a little bit later. But right now, I want to talk about Ben Olsen's lineup choices, uh, both yeah. the start and his substitutes in this one. Um, why was Patrick Niarco starting this game? I know he's he's been one of our best players, if not if not our best player, uh, in in 2016. But he was sick, and he looked like a guy who was sick when he was on the field, and he came off after 25 minutes, um, knowing that he had nothing left to give. And Jason, why would you start a guy who you know can give you less than half an hour? Or, well, or did Olsen? That's a false premise. Yeah, you, I, I guess I guess Olsen um, didn't know, but why? Right. Why? Wh- well, how did he? Did they not test him? Did they try to? I assume, and we. There's no one on the planet that doesn't work for the team that can answer this, unless our listeners happen to have been in training and in the yeah. locker room the last few days. Yeah, that's, um, um, that's true. But I assume that the training staff was keep it looking after him, looking into just how ill he was, and you know, Got it wrong. At, at the end of well, at the end of it, you know, the coaching staff has to make a decision, and it's an eyeball test. I mean, you can't get in there and look at, uh, you know, blood cell count or whatever, whatever's mm-hmm. wrong. You can't go into that level of detail. This isn't like a movie. Um, so you look at the guy and you say, "Look, do you do you think you can give me sixty minutes?" And the you know, you hope that the player can ev- accurately evaluate how healthy they are and can be honest with themselves and with you. And there's a tendency in those moments to get optimistic, to say, like, no, I think I can do it. I got through the warm-up. I feel all right. I think I got – I think I can get to halftime at least, um, that sort of thing. Um, and then you get out there, and, and it's just not there. You know, five, ten minutes go by, and you're like, you know what? It, it's – there's nothing in there. I got no gas in the tank, and that's that. Um, there's not – I mean, it's an imperfect – this is this is an art rather than a science. Um, and – it comes down to what we've seen. We've got examples of Olsen. When Olsen trusts a player, he's going to trust him on this. A uh, spindle had the um, the fever game where he scored the only goal against Kansas City, and he had been out with a fever for days, and they didn't even expect him in the stadium, and he just showed up and was like, I can play. And they were like, all right, man, we, you know, you. I guess he must have made a convincing argument that he deserved to play, and he ended up going 90 minutes and playing really well. So it's not like... Um, that this is a team that rolls the dice on talented players, and since Niarco is a unusual player within DC United's roster, um, I think the tendency to roll the dice was uh boosted a little bit. It would be different if like like DeLeon last week having the illness. Um, I feel like Olsen probably would have said, "All right, let's just you know we'll sit you on the bench, and if you can give me ten minutes at the end, we'll try it." Um. But with Niarco um, playing so well, I think the instinct was to roll the dice on him getting getting enough of the game played where United could find a goal while he was still in. Obviously, it didn't play yeah, out that way. Work. How did you like the substitute for Niarco? Jared Jeffrey ah. came on, and I, I I honestly couldn't tell. It was it was pretty fluid. I couldn't tell if we actually dropped into the four one four one that I expected after that or if it stayed as a four four two or a four two three one. It more or less stayed um, which which yeah that's DeLeon went out to the wing. Yeah DeLeon um, moved from the center to the right. Acosta would float around and people would adjust, but generally speaking the idea was that DeLeon took over for Niarco as a winger, mm-hmm. Jeffrey came in and Sarvas was freed up to be a little more attack minded. Um I don't like the I, I understand uh, that Jeffrey has played well in the last, the previous two appearances. Um, and you want to reward a player who has had a long time where he wasn't really a factor on the team. 
and he suddenly comes through and does pretty decently in, in two appearances, you want to reward him for good performances. But United didn't need to be more conservative at that moment yeah. in the game. It's 0-0 at home. It's not really going. It wasn't when Niarco came off, the game was already not really going all that well. It wasn't going badly. It got much worse uh, later. Yeah, um, NYC weren't. But, weren't really creating much at no, that they point were in the content, game. They, you know, they had their, their little burst for the first, I, I think from the fifth to the 10th minute, um, they were, they were in control, but from there, the game has sort of fizzled out. Um, it's zero, zero at home against a team that bleeds goals. And you've just lost one of your two players who is a good dribbler and who creates and, and the only player who does that in wide positions on your entire starting lineup. You can't give that away against a team that's already outnumbering you in midfield. That's already said we're setting up in a four-one-four-one, and we're here to deny you space in the attack. Um, I think Olsen made a mistake in bringing in Jeffrey. I think he had to go with Miguel Aguilar in that situation. I know there are big risks with Aguilar because his decision making on the ball can be spotty at best. His defensive instincts. He he wants to defend. Um, The effort is never in question. It's it's the instincts and the decision making where he goes to do his defending and what he does when he gets there. Um, those are all risks, but I feel like those are risks you have to take in that moment because without Niarco, the attack, the attack immediately became very narrow, very predictable. And NYCFC figured out almost immediately, if we bottle up Luciano Acosta, we're not going to give up a goal, a bar, you know, a set piece or a free kick or something like that. They knew that if they could shut down one player in the middle of the field, that they pretty much had this thing under wraps. And that's what they did. Um, I, on this, t- it reminded me a lot of last year's team where they where United was crying out for dribbling ability and speed. And Niarco comes out and United needed dribbling ability and speed. And mm-hmm. Aguilar has that. Jared Jeffrey does not. Um, it's not really a knock on Jared. I don't think Jeffrey played well, I- very well. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean that's the other thing is Jeffrey didn't play well. He didn't. He he played pretty well in Chicago, especially yeah, against. He was just behind the game. In this one. But but in this one, yeah, he he didn't look like a guy who can step in and play regular minutes in MLS. And um, top line speed is not something at this point that Nick DeLeon has on the way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and not only that, um, all the things that people say about DeLeon, they always the the criticism is that he passes backwards too often. The funny thing is when he moved out to the wing, that became more prevalent than when he's in the middle. Um, he became more conservative when he moved out to the right. Um, yeah. His his play as a winger was kind of summed up. There was a moment late in the game, Adam, I mentioned this to you mm. in the parking lot, um, where DeLeon got into space. He was one-on-one down near the end line uh, in the corner. And rather than just pushing aggressively into the box to try and force something out of – you know, it's 2 nothing in a game that's not going anywhere. You need some – desperation you need some um real risk taking in the attack he turned away shielded the ball and then shepherded it about about 20 yards before then making a diagonal back pass um to somebody else and it was the least high risk it was the nycfc was like this is fantastic that you're doing this thank you very much for for your efforts on our behalf um and that kind of summed it up um it's not that he can't do it it's that he just he wasn't ready for that switch. Uh, maybe he wasn't prepared beforehand. Maybe um, I know some of the post game quotes from some of the players. They said that we don't really know what's up with Niarco. So maybe they, they were kept out of the loop. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but but still, you, you you put in you put in someone who's prepared to play as a winger at that point, right. not someone who's been playing, been focused on central midfield and changing to central midfield for this entire preseason and season. Yeah, and and you also you need to focus on it you're at home against a team that's packing the midfield. You need width and to bring yeah. daily out to the wing that even last year, when he was on the outside, he was pinching in a lot. That right. was his and job. That's his, that's his natural instinct. That's part of yeah. his job in the four, four, two is his skill set demands that he do that. But that means that you're, you've got to now be very intricate with the ball because you've got to play through a, a much more crowded area of the field. Um, that's the luxury that Niarco gives the team is that you don't have to do that. You can go out wide and all of a sudden you've got space and you've got maybe one or two people to beat rather than five or six organized in a group. Um, you don't have to pass through and, and be brilliant. You just have to be okay. Uh, that's why teams play speedy wingers. That's the whole appeal. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was watching that, that situation with the subs develop, 
Um, I watched the three guys get up. Um, Aguilar, I think it was Aguilar, Jeffrey, and Buescher. I'm not sure if it was Buescher or Vincent because I, the, I couldn't really read the number on the shorts. Um, I stood on the other side of the stadium. Um, but the whole time I was thinking, like, what what is the problem here? Who's coming out? Who's communicated something to the bench? And when it was Niarco coming out, I was like, okay, why is Aguilar not the choice? Um, right. The, this game is crying out for width, and you just have to accept that you're getting the lesser version of that player um, at the time. To put it to put it in you know simple terms, that's what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like for like, yeah. And it was it was a it was a mistake on 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 the bench's part, on Olsen's part to go with Jeffrey. And it's not really Jeffrey's fault that things didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it, he was the wrong type of player in that moment. Yeah, and yep. and the other two subs, Ben Olsen, after making a first half sub, he held his other two subs until after the 80th minute, uh, which I also didn't love. Um, <laughs> taking out Nagel, I didn't love either because Na- other than Luciano Costa, Nagel was the only competent attacking player we had um, outside of Sarvis's mm. free kick. Um, Acosta mm. coming off, I actually understood because he was on a yellow card and he was an injury risk the way NYC were attacking him. Like, and I mean, physically mauling him from time to He's time. Also, there had also been a moment where there was a collision near the United bench, um, about yeah. three, four minutes before that. And he, he wasn't limping per se, but he had a moment where he took a couple steps where he it was clear that he was like feeling that collision. Yeah. He, he took a knock on his, I think his left leg or hip. Right. And so, was he was he was ginger. I think yeah. that's that's for sure. So so I yeah, mean I have no I problem taking a cost off there. I know some people didn't like that, but there was there there was actually I think reason for if, if for he's that got one. if he's got a knock uh, at that point or if he's getting too hot and you're worried about him getting a suspension for the next game, so be it. Um I was also to to bring this up, um Franklin had a late, late uh, tackle where he was Stephen Mendoza actually was in behind briefly and Mm -hmm. Franklin did well enough to catch up and poke the ball away cleanly and I was like but moments before he cleaned it, I was like, just let him go like, at this point it's not worth the risk of making the tackle because you're just going to get yourself a red card for next week Um, you're not even playing this week's game anymore at this point but it Um, ended up being a great play from from Sean Franklin, actually I had zero hope that he was going to actually make that play because Mendoza is a fast dude and fast, Franklin not very fr- smart. Yeah, Franklin <laughs> is not the fastest guy. He's no. he's never been the fastest guy. He's he's always been a smart player who takes up good positions and he was beaten. He was out of position on this and managed to catch a guy who's much faster than him. So good on good on Franklin yeah. for that play. Uh, um which could have gone very badly and didn't. But, you know, with the other subs, I don't I have no idea why it took so long. Mm-hmm. Um the Acosta sub for Buescher, that one I think by itself is fine at that time in the game, but that should have been the third sub. And right. Aguilar, if Aguilar yeah. doesn't come on when Jeffrey does, he should definitely have come on around the 60th, 70th minute because the game was clearly just bleeding to death at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, United desperately needed a spark of some kind. If it had been Vincent, of any in, kind. It, fine. Yeah. Um, something had to change and it had to be um, my thought, in all honesty, was take Jeffrey out and put Aguilar in because mm-hmm. Jeffrey wasn't adding anything to the attack. And yeah. you, yes, you end up with a um, situation where you have to manage a player's ego at that point because no one likes to sub in and then get pulled. Um, and this was, you know, the thing that was it wasn't so much getting pulled. It was we need an attacker on the field of, a, you know, we either pull a defender and play a back three, which Olsen almost never does, or we pull our most defensive non-defender, which is Jared Jeffrey. Um, so wait, wait! I thought they were playing a back three the whole time. You mean you mean Bobby Boswell was on on the field? Wait, what? He, was, he played he ninety minutes of soccer in this game. Wait, like he wait. played ninety minutes of something. Yeah, that's that's the last thing I want to talk about in this game, and that's Bobby Boswell. And we've put him. I don't know if we've ever put him on blast, but we've called him out on on this show before, and he had a couple of decent weeks. One pretty good week, in fact, team of the week kind of week um this was not that week he was he was worse than bad in this game this was he was solely at fault i mean there were there were some other things that went wrong on the second goal but he bore a lot of that one both with his i i think it was a mishit clearance i think it was a mishit clearance Um, it looked real lazy it was a really badly mishit clearance and and it may have been a pass to Jeffrey, but I think he was trying to hit it harder than that and just didn't. And it rolls out and it gets crossed back in. And he's 
I don't know, watching the ball and feeling bad about it. And Kyrie Shelton runs in and anytime Taylor Kemp is marking Kyrie Shelton in the six yard box, something has gone wrong and Boswell was late coming to it. And that's the second goal is he Boswell missed the clearance and then was late to uh, recognize. Yeah. And the, the clearance at that point in the game, it's one, nothing and United just isn't basically isn't playing. You know, they have not engaged in soccer, uh, following the first goal whatsoever, just thump the ball clear. Like get you as a veteran, you have to understand that you're in a bad, you know, your team is in a bad few minutes, um, where things aren't going well and you have to play incredibly simple because you're not going to do any better than that. So just, just hit it clear, hit a blind clearance, 50 yards up the field in the air. You're Bobby Boswell. This is what you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is, would it's actually funny because he he did his to you know with apologies to to our friend Ryan Kiefer he um, he did his I, I, white something routine I I don't know white Ronaldo uh, routine where he he grabbed the ball and just dribbled through some guys and did really well and made a good right. pass and got the like did a little one two and got the ball out of danger and up the field he did that earlier in the game and looked really good doing it I don't know if he just tried to do it again and I don't. It, but, whatever happened, whatever it was, it was bad. Boswell was not outside of that one white Ronaldo moment. This was not a good game for him. No, that that moment had no. to be a clearance, uh, not a attempt to pass constructively. That had to be let's get the ball out and and sort ourselves out mentally before we start trying to engage in anything more complicated than that. Than that. Um, and the fact, the other thing that bothers me about that goal is that Shelton was not. No one got in Shelton's way, and so he got three or four good steps where he could leap and use uh, Boswell and or Kemp as a sort of a a leaping aid so he could stay up for longer. Um, Like Ozzy rules football. Right. He actually leapt over the ball and ended up hitting it with his shoulder. He went too high and ended up accidentally shouldering the ball into the goal because he he was able to stay up so high. So um, I, yeah, there, there's no, there's no defending the clearance. There's no defending Boswell just wasn't involved in the game very much. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't for in a game where the other team has 55% of the possession, you want to hear that both center backs did their fair share of tackling and intercepting the ball and, and otherwise stopping the opposing attack. And Boswell, it looks his, his line for the night in, in Opta's stats looks like something like a defensive sub who comes in for the last 10 minutes would have produced. And he played the full game. Um, it's not necessarily his style of game playing NYCFC because they don't play in the air. Um, they love to keep the ball on the ground for David Villa. There's a good reason for that. Um, but you'd still like to hear more than virtually no involvement um, from him. Um, what it, was it? One tackle, one interception, and one aerial? Uh, one tackle, one interception, and one clearance, I want to say, is what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it just, he just wasn't that – he didn't make – too many big mistakes, but the ones he made, I mean, it's a center back. There's when someone says, well, he didn't make too many big mistakes. That means that he made at least one. And that's already Mm -hmm. too many big mistakes. Um, So it was not by any stretch of the imagination, a even adequate night from Boswell. So from that happy note to another, Chris Rolf missed this game to suspension. The disciplinary committee uh, upgraded his yellow card from the Chicago game to a red, um, after it, it was the right call, I have no complaints about that decision. He it, it wasn't a malicious play by Rolf, right. but he he accidentally yeah, stomped the on the back of, of a guy's yeah. knee. That's yeah. that's a red card, and and I thought so in real time, and I wasn't surprised when the disciplinary committee came down on him. Unfortunately, he also probably will not be back next week against the Red Bulls because it turns out he suffered a concussion in that game against Chicago. I have no idea what play it was on, um, but apparently Steve Goff is reporting that uh, apparently there was a, there was in fact a concussion in that play. So uh, Chris Rolf is out indefinitely, which, like I said, great news for United, except not at all. Um, better news is our other... Uh, 2014 uh, all-star player uh, Fabian Espindola could be back next week. He failed a pregame fitness test uh, with his hamstring injury before this game, which makes me think that Olsen could find a way to get him onto the field next week against the Red Bulls. Uh, not that Espindola has been great for us this year, but at this point, after this game, I don't want to see Sabo starting anymore. 
Yeah, and no. then we run into a new. Uh, we no. run into a different problem where Sabo is clearly the best partner for Acosta, and Acosta belongs on the field. So Acosta, at this point, Saborio is like Acosta's baggage. Like the baggage yeah. he comes with as a player is Saborio. Um, unless we want to go, I mean, I will say that writing off an Acosta Spindola partnership is based on a very small sample size early in the year where they had barely had any time to learn off of each other. Um, in, there's been, you know, what, six to eight weeks of training since then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And also at this point, what do they have to lose? Yes. That's the, that's the other thing is that, you know, Sabo sort of played himself out of a starting job and Rolf is probably in almost all certain likelihood is not going to play. Um, so you almost Olsen almost has to play the two of them together or play a spindola with Acosta in the midfield in the four, one, four, one, but they're still on the field together is the point. Yeah. Um, um, there's really not, the other option is push Lamar Nagel up and start Aguilar or Vincent and Olsen has shown he doesn't want to do right. And, and also doing that means dropping Acosta, which, uh, at this point I feel like is ridiculous. So, or, or, um, Play play a spindle on the wing and start Lamar Nagel and Acosta up front. That sounds like an awful idea. I don't even know why I said it. Uh, Basically, we need we need somebody to occupy that center forward spot until Alhaji Kamara is or somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You Zlatan. Yeah. (laughs) Holding uh, out for Zlatan. Yeah, wrong, wrong guy with a connection to Sweden. Alhaji Kamara is not a name I just made up, by the way. He is a player from Sierra Leone um, who could be coming to DC United by way of Sweden. He um, has been in training, not actually really training, just kind of hanging out and running jogging. slow laps and talking to people. Jogging around the... Uh, yeah, yeah, jogging slow laps and... Um, talking to people but he has been in negotiations with dc united and has been seeing medical specialists because he was basically decommissioned for this season in sweden with uh after doctors discovered a congenital heart condition uefa doctors uefa doctors because his team yeah so he's played for uh for his team in sweden which is uh nor coping yeah um and and played pretty well for them, uh, actually. Not not fantastically well, but 16 goals in, in 40 appearances, uh, according to Wikipedia. And uh, they made the Champions League, or Europa League, one of them. Europa. Uh, they're, they're in European competition, which right. I guess, pretty yeah, pretty good. And um, he, uh, they, the UEFA requires a higher level of uh, medical testing going into that. I don't know if they pay for it or what, but the teams are getting extra money. Who cares who's paying for it? Um, and they discovered a congenital heart condition that would not have been discovered any other way uh, other than by specifically looking for it. And they found it, and they said, you can't play, you might die. And that was that. That, that was the end. So he came to the U.S., talked to some other doctors, uh, and talked to D.C. United, and the other doctors apparently have said he's probably okay to play. Right. It, it seems like there's probably an, a higher risk of some kind of catastrophic, catastrophic event if he's playing compared to your any most any other professional soccer player. But from the way Goff was writing and, and kind of reading between the lines, it's not so elevated that it's uh, any kind of... It's not probable in any way. Um, I don't want to put a number on any percentages because I have no information other than what is out there. We are not, and I have no sources that I've talked to about this. Um, but I'm, it does like, sound like I'm, the team is doing its due diligence, um, which which is good because center forward, a striker, is something this team desperately needs. And it from the sizzle reel, which, disclaimer, it's a sizzle reel, this guy looks like he, he fits the bill. Unlike our opinions on uh, legal advice, which we give blatantly, uh, ridiculously, and without regard for facts or anything, we do not give medical advice under any circumstances. Other than don't drink as much as we do. Yeah. That's it for this first segment. We'll be right back to talk about DC United versus the New York Red Bulls. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Well, it's a it's a new season here in DC for DC United and for us here at Filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast. Yay us! Happy birthday, 
us. Uh, we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor, the Ehrlich Law Office. They provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. Sorry, Jason. You're out of luck. I, I guess I'm doomed. You, you are doomed. Um, <laughs> th- this message goes to people in Nova and D.C. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. Um, Marylanders deserve none of that. I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but we'll, but we'll people, in Nova and people in Northern Virginia and D.C. that definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, uh, you're, you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation, your civil rights have been violated, uh, or there's been an illegal taking by the government, or you have uh, disability issues, or you have uh, a complaint in education law, then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the the lawyers there personally, they are really good at their jobs and they're really good people. Uh, and you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. It's filibuster, the black and red United podcast. And it's now time. It's Atlantic cup time. Um, which, which really couldn't be coming at a worse time. Oh, and Ben got a new drink. Ben, Ben did. You're going to get a drink at halftime. And I did. Back, it's the second half. And what are you drinking? I'm drinking a bourbon pina colada. I'm sure there's a better name for it than that. There probably. Uh, there probably is. I don't know. How I've is never it? heard of this. It's okay. It's not great actually, because I didn't. I, I just used a uh, a mixing stirrer to stir it and not, not like a blender or anything. So it's a little separated. Yeah. yeah. yeah can so, so it's, I, it's, it's, it's not a as, effort. <laughs> yeah. It's a slacker it's, colada. It's not as disappointing as DC United, but it is disappointing. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Anyway, it is Atlantic cup time and it really couldn't have come at a worse moment for the black and red. Uh, as they are kind of on a downslide uh, of sorts, so, losing two to nothing at home to a terrible team, um, the Red Bulls back are and forth between good and bad. Yeah, the the Metros have finally kind of kicked their slide a one to one draw with Orlando in Orlando this weekend. Notwithstanding, they've managed to score what eight game eight goals over the last three games. The yeah, Red Bulls, so they figured uh, it out. Yay! Wish we had uh, played them like a month ago. Yeah, if we had played them exactly. A month ago, it would have been great uh, because they were in the pit of despair. Yes, and now they are not. And we are doing punishment shots on the show. That is that is the state of thing. Yeah. So, so Jason, what's what's the story with the Red Bulls this year? They, they started off terribly, um, and Ben's cat seems to be destroying everything, Very yes, which happens on the show from time to time. Yep, he's he, trying he, to tear, tear apart something. Now he's biting the box. Jasper is clearly not happy about the the state of things in the soccer world. That's that's how I'm going to read that. Um, That's so basically accurate. The Red Bulls were bad to start the year, um, at least results wise, and they've they've kind of figured out what was going wrong for them early in the year. Uh, I think they overreacted to how they went out of the playoffs last year. To to refresh everyone's memory, Um, Columbus really tactically exposed them. Um, in their playoff series until the very, like, I guess the last 20 minutes out of sheer desperation, the Red Bulls sort of shifted the way the game was being played um, in the second leg. But over both legs, Columbus really made it. They made all of the flaws in the Red Bulls' style of play clear while mitigating all of the strengths. Um, I think Jesse Marsh uh, got spooked. I don't think, I think he was very uncomfortable with being, tactically out Fox, which is kind of a silly thing for him to feel because in all honesty, he's not, I know the reputation is that he's some sort of uh, tactical genius. He's following a playbook proposed by somebody else. Um, the, the Red Bulls organization, Red Bull soccer 
worldwide with their seven or eight clubs or however many it is now, there's a, a specific style of play that's instilled from above Jesse Marsh and above Ali Curtis um, that comes down to them. So, you know, if you're sitting around talking about great managers in MLS, maybe hold your praise a little on Jesse Marsh. But uh, I think he didn't handle the situation well. I think he overreacted. Um, they spent the whole preseason trying to install a 4-2-2-2. Um, and part of that was trying to get um, uh, Verone, uh, their multi-million dollar acquisition from Argentina that somehow uh, gets a pass when we start talking about who spends how much money on their roster. No one cares about that for the Red Bulls. Um but uh, they wanted to get him involved. The last year they tried to use him on the left. Uh, it's clearly not where he belongs. Um, so they tried to come up with a system where they could still high press, but they could get him in as a second forward alongside Bradley Wright Phillips. And I think the idea was let's have two different functional plans for this group of players, which is a good idea in a vacuum. It's a good idea to have two different ways to play to win games because if plan A is not working – it's good to be able to say, well, let's just shift to this rather than be like making something up during a game and hoping it works because that it doesn't really work very often. Like um, putting in Jared Jeffrey for Patrick Niarco. No, that was that was maybe too much of plan A uh, was the issue there. <laughs> um, but uh, the problem is that it didn't the plan did not fit the rest of the players on this team. Um, the Red Bulls don't have players that can play that box midfield system. They have Sasha Question. He can play that way. Uh, but they don't have somebody to complement him in the other attacking midfield role. Um, on top of that, Verone has a horrible history of pulling his hamstring. He's already been injured twice this year with hamstring pulls. I don't think uh, he will be fit to play this weekend either because of the second one, um, unless the Red Bulls have decided that he's finally fit. They rushed him back last time, and that's why... They actually had a game in which they had to make three injury subs and all three were hamstring strains suffered by players sprinting, which is a bad sign for their their uh, training department because it's one thing uh, for people to remember last year, Michael Farfan had a hamstring strain that was suffered during a lunge. Um, that's the kind of hamstring strain that you can't legislate for. When you see a guy pull up during during a, a straight line run, that means that the player has not been trained correctly. Uh, generally speaking, I'm... As we said, I'm not medically trained, but this is this is not medical advice. I have I have read the works of other people who do know some things about how the body is supposed to work. And that basically is what the current vanguard of soccer science shows is that if you're pulling up, pulling your hamstring, someone trained you incorrectly or you're just not fit enough. Um, so the Red Bulls really ran it. They ran into injuries. Um they, without Damian Perrinell, who got hurt at RFK during the playoffs last year, they didn't have an appropriate center back partner for Ronald Zubar, who has also missed out. Um, their center back situation has been a mess. Yeah, that's been a um, real trouble spot for them. But, you know, it's not just that. that they, they're not losing games only because of their center backs. They also spent a lot of time trying other plans and not really doing well at it. It sort of shook up their confidence as a group. Um the guys from Once a Metro uh, are are analogs for the uh, the metros up there. Um, they were convinced last season that the Red Bulls were overachieving with their their plan A, um, which was a very astute observation on their part because I think it was one hundred percent accurate. They they deserve the supporter shield, but they were also like, if you look at that group, you're like, you guys are not as good as these results are showing. Um, so when their confidence went away, it sort of exposed a lot of the flaws. Um, in place there in the last, I, I guess it's the last three games. I'm, I'm sort of scrolling through their lineups. Um, they've gone back to plan a, they've gone back to as, as close to the old lineup as they could. Um, it, the only difference has been, uh, they went and got Aurelian Colin to play center back now. Um, ah. assuming he is not brought up on disciplinary, uh, committee issues. A lot of guys from that last game against Orlando from both teams could end up, uh, in front of the disciplinary committee. It was real great of Aurelian Colin to go from Orlando to NYC and then play back in what was his home stadium until very, very, very recently and immediately just start trying to kill all his former teammates. Well, that's, that's him in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, he's a physical player, right? Physical murder murder player. Um, outside of center back where they've had the injury procession, the guys coming back, guys going injured, 
that's still been an upheaval, but everywhere else they've gone back to the guys that were starting at the end of last season. Um, they've gone back to the 4-2-3-1. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips got his first goal a few weeks ago and has gone back to much closer to his normal rate of scoring, which is to say scoring often, um, which changes a lot for them. Having somebody producing goals has really, when they haven't played that well, it's papered over the cracks. Um, the fact that what chances they get are going in the back of the net. Um, Sasha Kleschen has been very good. He's actually been the one player who hasn't really taken a back step. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been really good this year. Uh, Dax McCarty has gone back to playing what people expect of him. His first four or five games this season were outright bad um, to the point that people were like, should he be benched just to like pull it together? Um, which last year, given the, the almost endless stream of praise in his direction from around the league is, is kind of shocking, but it, it's kind of symptomatic of how much confidence means in MLS because the margins are still so close and a team that gets on a poor run and loses some confidence, I mean, they basically become one of the worst teams in the league. And it's not the Red Bulls or D.C. or anyone else. It's any team in the league that isn't well-managed psychologically and, and hits the hits the skids a little bit. They tend to hit the skids for like two months. Um, it's I think we see it most in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the, the biggest example because they tend to go unbeaten for 10 games and then lose uh, 10 games in a row uh, somehow. Um, perhaps Jay heaps is not actually very good at coaching soccer. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to say that cause I don't like him, but uh, I don't actually know. It's just a, a thing I want to be true. Um, but yeah, the main thing with the red bulls has been, they went back to what worked last year. And at the same time, they happened to get a couple lucky bounces here and there. They sort of rebuilt their confidence. And now it's the more or less, it's the team we saw, playing throughout last year, maybe not quite as good because Colin and Zubar are not natural partners whatsoever. So, um, yeah, it's almost last year's supporter shield winner. Good timing. Um, so the, the goal that kind of kicked New York into gear was really similar to a goal they scored last year. It was a set piece goal. Um, where it was obviously a, a training field routine. Like it seemed like nine guys ran over the ball at some point before Sasha question chipped it to the back post and it was headed back across goal for one of those nine guys who was running uh, from the ball to, to come on to. And there was a pick involved and it was the week of picks that they scored this like picks on set pieces where uh, another attacking player just, is there to block the defender like in basketball, just set a pick. If you aren't setting a pick on free kicks, you're not trying. Yeah, it's true. That's something that's a part of the game. Yeah. It's just that week. There were a bunch of free kick goals yeah. scored by people or set up by people who were freed up by picks, including David Villa's incredible scissor kick goal yes. that never should have happened because, or, because <laughs> it up, that was set up by a bear hug. Yeah, that was, that was worse than <laughs> the That was, that was holding. That was a foul in the NFL. <laughs> that would have been a flag. Um, but given DC United's less than stellar defense against set pieces in 2016, how worried are you guys that that United's going to give up one or more set pieces in this game? I mean, I'm just worried generally because DC United is playing bad and should feel bad about how they're playing. Yes, that's fair. But we can't just stop the podcast after that. We have to talk about more granular things than that, Ben. This is, I mean, this is a show. This is a production so let's give the listeners what they want. Talk about talk about something. Just talk. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, Bobby Boswell is playing badly, and he is usually a good player on free kicks in his history. And the fact that he's playing badly uh, bodes bodes badly. I'm saying badly too much. Uh, it, it, You're speaking it, badly. I am speaking badly. I'm speaking to the level that DC United is playing soccer. Um, yeah, it's 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 not good, and uh, Steve Birnbaum is playing slightly better, but not good enough right now to cover for Boswell. And so, if DC United's plan has been for these last couple of years to force people wide, make them cross, and then Birnbaum and Boswell head everything away, and disasters don't happen, except now that now disasters are happening because they're not heading everything away, so. It's not going to be good. Jason, what else will be a part of 
the Red Bulls plan for attacking DC United or are they just going to do what they do like they they don't seem like a team as much as their their film study and is a famous part of of their preparation and they kind of tailor individual assignments the basic rubric for how they want to play seems to always be the same yeah um they're going to high press uh they're going to look uh they actually their goal came if you look at the replay or if you look at the highlights, it's not going to be in there. But if you go on MLS Live and go like 30 seconds before the goal, what happens is Orlando wants to play out of trouble. The Red Bulls high press them. Orlando ends up giving conceding a throw in. They they sort of aimlessly clear the ball. And then the next move is uh, header out of bounds for a throw in. The Red Bulls throw the ball in, knock a couple passes around, and then they get their goal. Um, and it all starts with high pressure from an otherwise innocent looking situation. Um, that's, that's everything for the Red Bulls. Um, they don't, uh, Sasha collection has been really good, but he's not going to create in tight spaces. He needs that extra bit of room. And that comes from the chaos that results after turnovers. Um, that's when they look to find him. They force the turnover and then they feed question and then he's got the space and in space, he's really good. Um, I don't agree. I know the popular thing with the Red Bulls uh, fan base is to say that in space, he's the best attacking midfielder in the league. I don't agree with that at all, because I feel like if you gave Ignacio Piatti or Diego Valeri that kind of space, they would be able to, to uh, or Mara Diaz. they would be able to perform dental surgery with the ball. Uh, whereas question <laughs> just sort of putting it in the path of a player running, but that doesn't mean he's not dangerous. And it doesn't mean that United has to be um, careless about it. Um, but that's the game for them is is high press, win the ball in the the other team's half of the field, and then take advantage of the chaos that results from there. Um, I will say, to go back to the set piece thing real quick, the other thing that concerns me on top of United just being shaky on them is they now have Colin uh, yeah. lining up on there, which means they've got an elite aerial threat. Um, Zubar isn't that great, but he's all right. Um, and then Colin has made uh, – I don't know how many goals he has up to this point, but wait, didn't Zubar score against us on a set piece in the playoffs us, last year? But he's, he's still not that great. Um, right. He's not very quick. He's big and strong and fast in straight lines, but he's not quick. Um, so right. he has a hard time getting free. Colin does not have that problem. So they have an extra threat, uh, though their set piece invention is much more based around just getting guys open. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, Dax McCarty has several headed goals for them because the idea is just get a guy who can head the ball on frame open and he'll do the rest. Um, but, it, you know, the, the Red Bulls style of play is going to be what they were last year. Um, I do think the weakness is that Colin and Zubar both want to be the guy that steps up uh, into the midfield to make big tackles and win headers. And they, they want to jump forward. No one in that pairing wants to hold. Um so there's a lot of aggression and not a lot of like, well, you know, you go ahead and I'll stay here. There's a lot of let's both go and see what happens um, in that pairing, which hopefully United is quick enough with the ball where they can draw those guys out of position and then play it in while they're still running forward. Um, that's the weak point. That's the the sacrifice they've made by bringing in Colin because they just needed a center back who was capable and, and not injured. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, because Paranel, you know, he tore his ACL, so he's not, I don't think they expect him back to the summer. Um, Zubar, brought, I mean, Zubar gets injured all the time. Um, yeah, they, they did bring Colin in before, uh, Carl Wimet was kicked, pretty viciously attacked. Back. Yes. Kicked um, in the back with studs. Yes, while not uh, having after, any preparation, while walking away, thinking he was done for the day. Yeah, while walking off the field after a double red card. Yes. The, his, his, the other guy who got a red card on that play, and this was in a USL game. Romeo um, Parks. Romeo yes. Parks, from formerly of, of the formerly. Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Um, since this happened over the weekend, his contract has been terminated by the Riverhounds and he's been suspended for the rest of the season by USL. So he's done as, as far as USL goes, if there's an NASL team or a team somewhere else in the world that wants to pay him to play or murder people, then, then that's a thing. But then you've got he did also, apologize. He did apologize. I will say that he did apologize. And recognize that, that what he did was wrong, but yeah, I mean, he apologized publicly and privately to Wimet, who accepted the apology. So I, I guess that's important. Um, 
it's better than nothing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he understood. Like, no, he, he, showed, right. he showed. He showed that he understands it's morality. It's better than Suarezing it, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there. Even when we met, was there? He didn't really. He didn't really help out in that situation. He wasn't really a good pair for Zubar or for Colin. He never played with Colin yet, but um, they wouldn't make spe- a good pair. And speaking of Colin, he has 13 MLS goals. Yeah, in so the, re- in the regular season. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, a decent a decent goal scoring wide midfielder ends up with those numbers in in yeah. that amount of time. So, all right. So I want to go back to New York's high press, and I want to pose the question whether the Ben Olsen's change to a more ball playing central midfield, which as much as I love Perry kitchen and Davey Arno, they were not a ball playing central midfield. Um, especially not to the degree that Nick DeLeon and Marcelo Sarvas are. Um, even if United doesn't have a bunch of possession, those two are completing a much higher percentage of their passes than, than kitchen and Arno ever did. Um, and I wonder especially after being knocked out by the Red Bulls in the playoffs two consecutive years, whether this is part of the plan in, in whether it was a, a direct response to playing against that high press. Ben, do you think that, that De Leon and Sarvas are basically in there to handle that? Or is, is it just that's who we had? And, you know, it works elsewhere. Or do you think it really is there anything to the idea that it was a direct response to the metros? Mm, I think it's, I think it's, I, I think it's, mm, I think it's mostly a factor of what we had. I think it is partially they wanted to play a more proactive style and having Nick DeLeon in the middle completing a lot more passes. He's, uh, at least before this game, he was in the top 10 of most completed passes in MLS. A percentage, uh, by, yeah. His, uh, by his percentage. Average, his average actually went up in this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I think that is part of it, but I think a lot of it was what happened. I mean, we all know the uh, trials and tribulations, uh, the uh, uh, people they attempted to sign in the offseason and how that, how that might have changed the team. Um, but so I think at the end of the day, it is slightly what they were left with, but I think it is also they were left with what they wanted to do in a more proactive style. So they're kind of half in last year's uh, style, half in a new kind of style. And I don't know if it's uh, being half in both is really just failing on both ends. Right. And I, honestly, I think that's some of what, Boswell's problem is this year is we're playing a different style and he's not suited to it. And even though he's not directly implicated in that style because well, he's a center back, well, he still is in a sense. He, and having he's to, directly having to he's directly more, implicated in a lot of things, right? And I think having to think more and he's not playing the game he's used to. He's trying to do something else, and so he's not doing what he used to do well well anymore. And they're they're teachers and pedagogy experts everywhere who say that's a thing um, where you forget how to do things well when you're focusing on things you don't do well and trying to learn something new. Sometimes your basics, your fundamentals slip. And I think some of what's wrong with Boswell right now is he's on the wrong side of 30 and he's um, declining a little bit. And some of it is he's trying to do something new, old dog, new tricks, that kind of thing. Um, Whatever it is, he needs to figure it out. Obviously, he's a professional. He needs to to do better. But I think that's part of it. Anyway, Jason, how does Ben Olsen game plan for the Red Bulls at this point? I think it's important to keep the ball moving quickly. Uh, I think a big emphasis on the attacking side needs to be moving the ball into the middle and then out of the middle and then back in really quick. Um, I think that's a great way to draw out Colin and Zubar's um, hyper-aggression. Um, I would also, and hopefully Patrick Niarco gets over his illness, not just for his own sake, um, but for United, um, Kamara Lawrence has been really bad this year. Um, and that hasn't really connect corrected itself, uh, in the last, he's been better, but he hasn't been last year where 
uh, Premier League teams were interested in paying millions of dollars to bring him to the Premier League. No one's interested in that right now. Um, so I think getting after him uh, on the right side would help. Um, Sal Zizo is still only like 15 to 20 games into a career as a right back. Um, so he's going to be vulnerable on the right. Um, so you've got both flanks uh, are a different sort of vulnerability, whether it's form or experience. And then down the middle, you've got two guys that want to step up too high, uh, too aggressively. Um, so there have definitely... I think it's a, it's a game where United should not replicate last year's tactics in which they sat deep and played yes. long ball. Um, this year, I think we don't have the team to do that anymore either. No, um, that that's, you know, that's the thing is last year's team wasn't ended up not being good at that. Uh, but it wasn't the worst tactic against the Red Bulls this year. I don't think we're even equipped to try it. Um, I think United has to take the game to the Red Bulls or at least make an attempt to, because that back forward looks pretty shaky still. Um, I also think uh, a big focus needs to be made on defensive transition. As soon as you lose the ball, you've got to get into a proper defensive structure that denies question that space between the lines. Um, Outside of that, um, I would say, I would actually say right now to funnel them towards Lloyd Sam rather than to Mike Grella, which means funneling them towards the right. Um, which because sounds weird. It does sound yeah. weird because Sam has kicked our ass over and over again. So many times. But he has not been particularly noteworthy this year whatsoever. Um, there was a point in time where it seemed like he might get dropped for poor form. Um, meanwhile, Mike Grella, I think every game he plays, there are two or three gifts of him just not making somebody or making somebody look foolish. Um, he's playing. He's full of confidence right now. He's really feeling it. Sam, I think, is just he's not really uh, at that level of belief right now. Um, And I do, there is some caution there because Franklin is the better one-on-one defender between him and Kemp. But um, I think United is going to have to, you have to pick and choose your battles. And I think um, trying to force Sam to replicate his past form is a more, a higher percentage battle for United than, uh, seeing a lot of Mike Grella on the ball trying to dribble at people one-on-one because right now he looks like he feels like he could dribble past anyone. Um, so I think those are the main concerns for me is really more than anything though, is the space between the lines with question has to be minimal and it has to be very question needs to be thinking. I don't like in the first 10 minutes, they have to establish to him. You're not getting anything done in this area. You need to find, so you need to pass the ball to somebody else. Um, you can't find Wright Phillips running through the channels. You have to go backwards. You have to go sideways. Um, I think once if United can establish that early, there's a domino effect where the Red Bulls become less effective. Um, they're looking more for, you know, balls from deep with Felipe, um, which are still dangerous because as much as we hate Felipe, he is good at kicking a ball and asking or getting it to go where he would like it to go. Um, right. Phillips- kick- kicking humans. Yeah, well, unfortunately, yes. I I would also recommend trying to provoke Felipe because uh, he is a lunatic. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go in hard on him physically because he's going to take a dive. And we've seen how many times he's gotten referees to fall for that sort of thing. Just chirp I, at him. I would say get in his head, you know, off the ball words. Just get after him with words. I want to see it cost his mouth running, just I, running. It's, this one. it's pleasant that we have Acosta and Sarvas, uh, Sarvas especially, because he can mm-hmm. uh, communicate with Felipe in multiple languages. Um, <laughs> the downside of that is that both, especially Marcelo and, and Acosta to a lesser degree, are yeah. also prone to being provoked. Um, but there's a there's a risk there, and you've got to find moments in the game to take your risk and moments of the game to, to not. Um, I think it's worthwhile to at least see if they can get a rise out of Felipe and get him to do something stupid. Um, but ultimately I'm more interested in that back four. Just it, it, that's the weak point right now for the Red Bulls. They are not defending as solidly as they should be. And Colin makes them better, but he also doesn't fit the plan. He's a better player, but he doesn't fit what that group needs right now. Um, now granted they were in such a situation where they're like, look, if you're an adequate center back who isn't injury prone, we'll take you. Um, but him and Zubar are not a good partnership and I want to see United 
combining through the middle. I, I want to see, especially with Nagel's ability to cut through the middle, um, if, let's say, a spindle is back in, if he's going to drift left, I would like to see that that sort of movement where he's drifting left and Nagel's coming across, um, and Acosta's sort of playing underneath and either playing one or the other through, um, and or holding the ball long enough to draw those bigger guys out of position. Um, and we saw Acosta a few times in this game bait someone from New York City into coming in too close, and then he would just move around them really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin and Zubar, I, I mean, there is the risk of a leg breaking with those guys because they lunge in with uh, every ounce of their being uh, into every single tackle. But if you get them to miss, uh, you're pretty much through on goal. So um, I want to see that that trio working together really well to exploit the fact that Colin and Zubar are so aggressive. Um, I think that's the the key offensively. The key defensively really is getting that those two those two banks of four into a, into good spots where there's no room for question to operate. If you if you take him out of the game, I mean it's not you're not done at that point. It's not like oh you know job's over we've got this, but you know it becomes job's a, a lot, lot more doable. Yeah, it's a lot easier at that point. All right, that is about the most uplifting moment in this episode and so that is where we're going to end it thank you all for listening find us at blackandredunited.com we're on twitter at filibuster dcu and at black and red u send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com find us on itunes find us on stitcher we're on soundcloud mostly though on friday night before the game at the game after the game whenever tell a friend about the show that's how people find out about us in our experience we really appreciate it when when you spread the word like that so for jason and ben i'm adam we will talk to you real soon say goodbye jason goodbye david